0: Okay, I want you to begin to recognize that there are signals that I should be paying attention, right? There are moments where Mormon is waving his arm saying, are you paying attention? And so if you'll just pick up on some of those clues, you begin to realize he is waving his arms. He's screaming at me to pay attention. So let me just point out why I think Helaman is so different. You can't I think the problem is we're not familiar with the geography. If I were to say that the Mexicans have attacked and they've attacked a few cities in Arizona and Texas, what would your reaction be? Oh, if I were to say the Mexicans have attacked and they've hit all the way to Montana, now what would you say? Because why? I just gave two cities, one group of cities, you went, oh, that's, oh, that's bad, but it's not as bad. When I said Montana, what, would you say, what did you say? Oh, that's really bad, because what does that mean? They've conquered everything up until Montana. So not knowing the geography is, I think, what mi- why we miss out on the significance of, I think, what Mormon is trying to say. So the one thing I hope you picked up on, do you remember when we were doing war chapters? and how the war chapters are a pattern of the war that began in heaven. And what was mistake number one? The Nephites should not have lost this, right? They had all power over the Lamanites until they opened up the front door by contention within and then dissension. And then they open up the front door, causing the Lamanites to conquer a whole bunch of cities. Did you catch where those cities were? So let's go back there, or Alma, let's go back to Alma, and let's pay attention to where were they conquered. So Alma chapter 51 is when the king men come in, and this is the dissension. Alma 51. And because of the weakness, because of the contentions and the dissensions, the army was not sufficiently strong enough to repel the Lamanites, and they began conquering city after city after city. Now, when it, when it mentions those cities, verse 26, this is not an idle comment from Mormon. You've got to say, oh, he's pointing something out. Where were the cities that were conquered in 27? Sorry, in twenty-six. All along the border. In other words, we've done what? We opened the front door, right? And that was the point of Alma. Is that we opened the front door and let evil in. The cities that were conquered were along the coast. Along the border. All of which, all of which were on the east borders by the seashore. Okay, so now bells should run ring when we read Helaman chapter one. So knowing that Helaman is a pattern of our day, this is an anomaly of ma- magnificent proportion. Helaman chapter one, the Lamanites attack. So starting in verse 14, Lamanites had gathered together an innumerable army of men, Verse 17, where do they go? Where do they conquer? Zerahem. Now for me reading this, oh my goodness, bells are ringing off inside my head saying, do you see the symbolism of what Helaman is trying to say? We've done more than open the front door. The enemy has reached where? right to the heart. They have come all the way to Zarahemla, right to the heart. Now, as if Mormon doesn't want us to miss this, go to chapter four. Now, just to summarize, we're going to come back to chapter one. Don't don't lose it. But here's the border. Here's Lamanite, Nephite. Here's Zarahemla, somewhere up there. And we've got cities all around Zarahemla, right? Right. The Lamanites weren't smart now. I don't know that they thought about getting all the way to Zarahemla. What's the problem with getting all the way to Zarahemla? They're surrounded. And that's exactly what happens in chapter one. And so nothing much happens. But then you read Helam in chapter four. Read the heading. Tell me what you see in Helam in chapter four. Verse one, or sorry, verse four, once again, They're preparing for war. Now, verse five. They did commence the work of death. They succeeded in obtaining the possession of... Now, do you see what Mormon's doing? Twice in Helaman, they got where? So tell me the symbolism. If we're really saying, all right, Mormon, tell us about our day. Tell us about the day in which we live. If the days before Christ's first coming are like the days before his second coming, then I should anticipate war getting where? Now, do you see that I don't think we need to say it's going to Washington, D.C. is going to fall or national capitals will fall. I, I don't see that interpretation, right? Right if you push this, where does he seem to suggest we will fight our wars in our day? In the heart. I think the Book of Mormon is making a very bold prophecy. And if you look around, where are we fighting? Are we fighting over lands and possessions? Even in Ukraine, is the fight over the wheat fields? I don't sense it is. The fight is over what? Identity and history and legacy. And who are we as a people? That's a war of the heart. Where are we fighting in the United States? What are the most heated battles going on in the United States? Where? Family. Race. Gender. And when I say gender, there's multiple fights, right? There's women's rights. There's those who identify as LGBTQ. Now, where are those fights occurring? So it's one thing to say, oh, war's gonna be prevalent in the latter days, and we think World War III, or if we really are trying to read the Book of Mormon, if we're really trying to say, where is war going to be a problem in my day wars of the heart tell me what's tearing families apart how many families are fighting over border disputes why are families fighting wars of the heart if you were to list the top 10 causes of divorce in our country what would they be wars of the heart We are fighting wars of the heart. Now, once you catch that, is it, oh my goodness, I see it, I see it all over. Let me show you a fascinating prophecy. We did this last week, but let us go back and spend a little bit more time here. Doctrine and Covenants section 87 is Joseph Smith's prophecy of war. Now, if the Book of Mormon is screaming out saying, you better watch out for wars of the heart, shouldn't we find a similar warning in, in Joseph Smith's prophecy of our day? So be careful, be careful with 87 because I know where your head's gonna go. My head went there for so many years because you're gonna read in verses two and three, South Carolina. And as soon as you read in verse three, South Carolina, you're instantly gonna go where? Civil war. This is a prophecy of the civil war. Is it? I get that it is, but you can't stop there. Let's read it very carefully. I get, I think we can very clearly say that verse one is a prophecy of the 1832 ordinance of nullification, and that verse four is a pretty clear prophecy of civil war. Northern, southern states shall be divided against northern states, and they'll call on Great Britain. But then there's a semicolon and everything changes did the civil war pour out into other nations and cause a world war? So tell me what that semicolon says. And then war shall be poured out upon all nations. The civil war was fought over what? Property? Did property change hands? Not really, except for human property. It was fought as a war of the heart. So I think what I read in verse 3 is the Lord saying what? World War I and World War II were very much, well, maybe World War I more than anything else, properties and borders changing. But I think the Lord is saying, starting with the Civil War, what we will fight from then on are wars of the heart. Tell me, If verse 4 ever occurred in the Civil War, can you name one place in the Civil War where slaves rose up against their masters? That is not a prophecy of the Civil War, that is a prophecy of our day. The oppressed are rising up against the oppressors, good or evil. What's happening in the church? What's the perception? A lot of people are rising up and saying, the church has over the years done what? Oppressed me and I am now fighting against oppression. Those are the prophecies of our day. We will fight wars of the heart. Whether they're righteous or unrighteous isn't necessarily what the prophecy is saying, but we will fight over issues of the heart. Do you see that prophecy? And it simply says, let's let's continue. Verse 5, it shall come to pass also that the remnants who are left of the land will marshal themselves and shall become exceedingly angry and shall vex the Gentiles with a sore vexation. Tell me that's not happening in our day right now. And with the sword and by bloodshed, the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn and with famine and pl- plague and hunger and the thunder of heaven and f- fierce and vivid lightning shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to real feel the wrath and indignation and chastening hand of the Almighty God. So what's the solution? Verse 8. We don't get it in section 87 because where did we get it? I believe we got it in the Book of Mormon. So if I've, if I've caught your attention that, oh my goodness, the Book of Mormon is making a very, very significant prophecy that I'm starting to recognize is exactly what's happening in our day. I want a solution. What is the solution to wars of the heart? Well, let's go back to Helaman 1. So we've seen the prophecy. Now let's see the solution. Helam in chapter one, we begin the hint at what the problem is. So starting in verse nine, Moroniah, who is Captain Moroni's son, Moroni and his son Moroniah did succeed with his armies in obtaining many parts of the land. He succeeded in verse 10 in regaining even. Oh, sorry, I'm in four. I want to be in one. Sorry. Don't go to four yet. Don't go to four yet. Okay, verse 17 is where they march all the way to Zarahemla. Now, verse 18. Again, commentary from Mormon, waving his arms and says, how do you lose a war of the heart? Read it. Read it, James. Verse 18.
1: And it came to pass that because of so much contention and so much difficulty in the government that they had not kept sufficient guards in the land of Zarahemla for they had supposed that the Lamanites durst not come into the heart of their lands to attack the great city there.
0: Okay, so what is not the answer? As in President Nelson on Sunday morning, what is not the answer? You will never win a war of the heart with anger, with contention. It will never, ever resolve itself peacefully if it's done in anger. Lesson number one. Now go to four. Now go to chapter four. This is just, sorry. I got to catch my breath because this just gets me riled up and gets me excited. So verse nine, Moroniah did succeed with his armies in obtaining many parts of the land. Yea, they regained many cities. Now verse 10, how much of their lost cities did they get back? Half. And Moraniah gives up. He gives up. Let me, go, let me take you down there. Look at verse 18. Moraniah could obtain no more possessions. Verse 19. They abandon their design to obtain the remainder of their lands. Now remember that. Moraniah with the sword could get back how much? Half. I think that's one of the most important things I would point out. Moraniah, with the sword, can get back half. If you and your spouse are solving wars of the heart with the sword, you'll never get back more than half. If race is being solved with the sword, you'll never get back more than half. Allow me to be bold enough and make a prediction. Until race puts the sword down, until gender puts the sword down, you will never get back more than half. You'll get something, da- you'll get something back. You'll accomplish something. We could storm the castle. We can cancel them all the things that the sword is doing in our society, but you will never ever get back more than half with the sword. You see what President Nelson was trying to say on Sunday morning? We are fighting wars of the heart with the sword. And the Book of Mormon says, you'll never ever get back more than half. Now it starts to hint, go back to the verses we skipped. I need someone to read 11, 12, and 13. Mormon starts to scream out the only way to win wars of the heart. Amanda, would you mind 11, 12, and 13?
2: Now this great loss of the Nephites and the great slaughter which was among them, would not have happened had it not been for their wickedness and their abomination which was among them. Yea, and it was among those also who professed to belong to the church of God. And it was because of the pride of their hearts, because of their exceeding riches, yea, it was because of their oppression to the poor, withholding their food from the hungry, withholding their clothing from the naked, and smiting their humble brethren upon the cheek, making a mock of that which was sacred, denying the spirit of prophecy and of revelation, murdering, plundering, lying, stealing, committing adultery, rising up in great contentions, and deserting away into the land of Nephi among the Lamanites. And because of this, their great wickedness, and their boasting in their own strength, they were left in their own strength. Therefore they did not prosper, but were afflicted and smitten, and driven before the Lamanites until they have lost possession of almost all the resources. So
0: what stood out, Amanda? Tell me what stood out in there.
2: Verse uh, 12, everything that caused them to
0: lose. So we're repeating our previous message about contention uh-huh. and dissension. That repetition is worth noticing. Tell me what else that stood out. What is the said their
2: slaughter would not like Said, would not have happened if it it
0: now, that's Mormon looking back on them, but really talking to who? He's yelling at us, saying, do you understand? If you try to use the sword to win wars of the heart, you will never conquer much. That's what they were trying. They had missed the point. James, what stood out to you?
1: I just like at the end of verse 11 how it says, and it was among those who professed, Belong to the church of God. Yeah, like, who, interesting
0: jab, right?
1: Yeah, and just the, it's they're they're like say that they're members of the church, but their hearts aren't.
0: Yep. Now, i tell you what stood out to me is in verse 13. What? I, well, that's what I was going to say is that just talking about how they boasted in their own strength, and so therefore. They didn't have all the strength they needed. They, a beautiful phrase, they were left to their own strength. In other words, what's he saying? The only way you win a war of the heart, the only way you win a war of the heart is with divine help. And if you're fighting in a way that leaves you alone without divine help, you're never going to win the war of the heart. That applies to marriage It applies to families, and I guarantee it's going to apply to race wars, gender wars, every single type of war we're fighting today. You will never, this country will never overcome race until we receive divine help in that battle. We will never overcome gender wars until we receive help from heaven in that battle. And if you don't fight in a way that gets the Lord's help, You're going to be left unto yourself. Anything else that stood out that you wanted to mention? Do you just hear Mormon just waving his arm, saying, he's talking about them to us. Now, we've seen a lot of foils in the Book of Mormon, right? We saw Nephi foiled with Laman. We saw King Benjamin foiled with King Noah. We saw Malachi foiled with Captain Moroni. Now we're going to foil Moraniah's attempt to get the 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 lands back with the sword. Tell me the next story. Tell me the next story. You got to know the book of Helaman to say, I see where we're going. Tell me the next story. Nephi. Nephi and Lehi. They drop the sword and pick up. You drop the S and you have the word. The word. Now, this is absolute beautiful scripture. To tell that story, what Moraniah couldn't accomplish with the sword, now let's read chapter 5. And now Nephi and his brother Lehi are going to take a very, very different approach. And I would hope that husband and wife who've been using the sword We'll realize until we drop this sword and pick up a different approach, we're never going to solve this war of the heart. Until nations drop the sword and pick up another approach, we're never going to solve the wars of the heart. So Nephi and Le- Lehi take what approach? Let's jump. I, did, I just love Helaman 5. If ever there was evidence that Joseph Smith could not have written this book, to me it's Helaman 5. And in, in the connection between 5 and 4. So, verse 14, they go forth. And they begin in Bountiful. Why? Tell me why they begin in Bountiful. What's in Bountiful? The temple. I think that's significant. They start at the temple and then move forward.
1: Do you think it's also significant because it's on the coast?
0: Yes. I think all of these things are being, I mean, why does he draw attention to the fact that they begin in the city bountiful? All right, now where do they end up? Verse 16, in Zarahemla. But who's in Zarahemla? Look at the end of verse 16. Who's in Zarahemla? Which Lamanites? The men, women, and children? Have the Lamanite families moved into Zarahemla? Who's in Zarahemla? The hardened Lamanite warriors, who have made a living with the sword, now as evidence that Mormon isn't telling every story. order kills me! Tell me what happens in seventeen through nineteen. Notice, focus on nineteen. Verse seventeen. Nephi using truth and scripture and power and priesthood and all those things did confound many of those dissenters who had gone forth from the Nephites to the point that, verse 19, 8,000 souls repent and join the church. Do we get that story? No. Which tells you what? I know what you need, and that's not the story you need. Even though it kills me. Come on, tell the story, Mormon. He simply says, hey, they baptized 8,000 people. Among what group? The Lamanite warriors. The murderers. The, murderers. the ones that kicked, the, that were killing Nephite warriors. He converts 8,000, and he baptizes them. Now he moves on where? Verse 20, we go to the land of Nephi. We're going to this is ironic, because the Lamanites came where? To the heart of the Nephites, and where does the Nephi go? To the heart of the Nephites. It's just beautiful symbolism. He goes to the heart of those who profess to be wicked. Because where do you win a war of the heart? in the heart. So he doesn't win the war in Zarahemla. I think that's why Mormon's not telling us the Zarahemla story. You don't win a war of the heart on the outskirts. You win a war of the heart in the heart. Now, where's the heart of the Lamanite nation? Not Zarahemla. It's in Nephi. So he goes to the heart. Now, this is beautiful symbolism. We don't have a ton of time, but help me tell this story. Help me tell the story. Here's Nephi and Lehi. And they cast him in prison. And the bad guys come in to do harm to them. Um, Verse 21, it came to pass that they were taken by the army of the Lamanites and cast into prison, yea, the same prison in which Ammon and his brethren who were cast by the servants of Limhi. And after they had been cast into prison many days without food, behold, they went forth into the prison to take them that they might slay them. They're going to do Nephi and Lehi harm. It came to pass that Nephi and Lehi were encircled about by fire. Now, again, tell me the prophecy. If that's the only chapter of the Book of Mormon you knew, knowing this is a prophecy of our day and what it's going to be like in our day, what's the Book of Mormon saying? The Lord, the righteous need not fear, God will be with them. It's a beautiful reminder of that little message. The fire comes down and protects Nephi and Lehi. I am not one bit worried about the righteous, no matter what's coming. They will be preserved, insomuch that they durst not lay their hands upon them. And when Nephi and Lehi saw it, their hearts took courage. Your hearts should take courage by this story. Your hearts today should take courage because of this story. Now, what happens? To the bad guys over here. Tell me I have a black. Let's do the guys that intended harm. Here they are over here. There's about 300 of them. We'll find out later. 300 guys came in to do them harm. And what happens to them in verse 28? They are overshadowed by a cloud of darkness and an awful solemn fear came upon them. This is the world in which we live who lives under a cloud of darkness and is in sh- and it lives in solemn fear. Wars of the heart are doing what to people? Wars of the heart are doing what in this very nation? It is a darkness to live under. What is divorce doing to families? Wars of the heart are an awful darkness and an awful solemn fear. Now here's one of the absolute most beautiful moments I think you will ever find in scripture. Verse 36, what could they see through the darkness? no matter how dark it's going to get, no matter the darkness that may be upon you or upon our communities or upon the world, what will you always be able to see through the darkness? Prophets. Prophets. Now, total side note, if you know the Book of Mormon, there are three darknesses. Can you name the other two? What are the other darknesses? Here's darkness, here's darkness number three. In Lehi's dream. So number one was Lehi's dream and what pierced the darkness? What pierced the darkness? The rod. Okay, name the next darkness. Third Nephi. You're so brilliant. I love teaching brilliant people. It's so fun. And what pierced the dark? What what happened in the midst of the darkness? Mm -hmm. They heard his voice. And now what pierced the darkness? Look at that. Look at that list. Can't spell prophet. Look at that list. Tell me what the Book of Mormon is teaching. What will always penetrate the darkness you're in? His word. His voice. And his servant. Did the hair on the back of your neck just stand straight up? (laughs) In In a good way. What will always pierce the darkness, no matter what? His word, his voice, and his servants. Now, the world has a choice. We have a choice in darkness. Back to Helaman 5, verse 40. What do they choose in darkness? What do these 300 choose? What do I need to do? That is one of the most significant questions anyone will ever ask. What shall we do that this cloud of darkness may be removed from us? What's the answer? Three words, you must repent. repent. How do you win a war of the heart? You repent, you repent and you cry unto the voice until you have faith. I love the until there, cry unto the voice until you have faith in Christ. And when you do this, the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you. Verse 42, they all began to cry with one voice. Now read verse 43. Hair on your neck is going to stand up one more time. What happens when they repent? Number one. Amanda, who's got it? 43. Should we read it? Who we'll read it. Let's just read it. 43. And it came to pass that when they cast their eyes about, and they saw that the cloud of darkness was dispersed from overshadowing them, behold, they saw that they were encircled about, yea, every soul by a color of fire. So repentance did what? Repentance in a marriage. Repentance in a family. Repentance in a community. Repentance in a nation. Repentance does what? First, number one, removes the cloud of darkness. And then number two, They are not opposing the prophet. They're not on the other side of the wall. They are what? They are within. And God will preserve anyone who repents. And now that fire is protecting them. And the cloud of darkness is gone. Now, this is absolute Beautiful, what happens next. Actually, we got to do one more. Verse 44, end of verse 44. When you are inside that circle of fire, it brings joy, which is unspeakable, and glory. Verse 45. The Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven and did enter into their hearts. Now, what do these three hundred do? James, I need you to read. Ready? Sure. 49 through 52.
1: And there were about 300 souls who saw and heard these things. And when they were bidden to go forth and marvel not, neither should they doubt. And it came to pass that they did go forth and did minister unto the people, declaring throughout all the regions round about all the things which they had heard and seen, It's so much that they, the more part of the Lamanites were convinced of them because of the greatness of the evidences which they had received.
0: Okay, so pause. Did Nephi and Lehi convert the bulk of the Lamanites? No, who did? The converted Lamanites converted the Lamanites. Do you see that? That's a pattern of our day. It wasn't Nephi and Lehi. It's not the prophets. It's not President Nelson. This work rolls forward because... Ordinary people move it forward. And then keep going, James.
1: And as many as were convinced to lay down their weapons of war and also their hatred and tradition of their... Here we go,
0: ready? This is where the music just crescendos. You just gotta hear the music, the drum roll's coming, and here it is. The cymbals go off, and James reads. And it came to pass that they did yield up unto the little Nephi the land of their... So what couldn't Moraniah do? What couldn't Moraniah do? Get back all the land. And what happens now? They give it back. What Moraniah couldn't do with the sword, Nephi and Lehi did with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you hear the message? Does our nation hear the message? Do husbands and wives in the church hear the message? Do families hear the message? It is one of the clearest, most powerful message I have found in the Book of Mormon. What Moraniah couldn't do with the sword. Nephi just needed the gospel. And it wasn't Nephi that did it, right? It was the outrolling of the gospel that did it. What Moraniah couldn't accomplish with the sword, Nephi did with the gospel of Jesus Christ. James.
1: I just think it's significant. It's that it's by them repenting. It's not that he said something or anything significant, but he just had his example. And then the Lamanites were like, hey, let's repent, like, you know, because Aminadab is very kind and knew his gospel. But just that it was all a personal work. And, you know, it goes back to the parables of Jesus, how He's like cleanse the inner vessel, then the outer, you know, and that we need to work on ourselves before we could ever, not that like it's in the process, but just that we help others by seeking God ourselves.
0: Beautiful. Let me bring up a quote from President Benson, Ezra Taft Benson, 13th president of the church. I think I'm still streaming. Let's read it together. Uh that's I don't know how I have where is it? You know exactly where I'm going, right? Yeah. I don't know the quote for I think it's this one. Nope. Let's read this one though. <laughs> read that top one, hold on.
1: Men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, and pour out.
0: Okay, let me just do it this way.
1: The next one, not the next one, but the one
0: after. Did it say slums? Mm -hmm. There it is. Read that one, Holden top of the page
1: the lord works from the inside out the world works from the in from the
0: outside there's the sword there's the sword there's the gospel and there's the sword
1: the world would take people out of the slums and christ takes the slums out of people and then they take themselves out of the slums the world would mold men by changing their environment christ changes men who then changed their environment. The world would shape human behavior, but Christ can change human nature.
0: So how do you solve poverty? What's the sword's version of solving poverty? Education. Or, 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 right? And hence the criticism is, how dare you build these expensive churches? You should take that money and you should give it to the poor. What's the Lord's solution to solving poverty? Poverty. Bring them unto him, and then they will heal the poverty. What Moraniah can't do with the sword, the gospel of Jesus Christ can. Of that I stand as a testimony. It applies to nations. It applies to communities. It applies to Friendships and marriages, it applies to race and gender, it applies across the board. What Moroniah can't do with the sword, we can accomplish if we truly are converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What then is the greatest force on this planet to end war on this planet? The, gospel of Jesus Christ. the scriptures. And those who teach them and love them. We do that, we'll end war. Let me leave you. I'll pull it up so we can read this together. I love this from Joseph Smith. I'm gonna read these two quotes. This is a very long, lengthy sermon by Joseph Smith, but he just kind of sums it up by saying, the world itself prevents one great theater of misery, woe, and distress of nations with perplexity. All, all speak with a voice of thunder that man is not able to govern himself, to legislate for himself, to protect himself, to promote his own good, nor the good of the world. What does man need? Tell me what man needs. There's the sword. This is what the sword does. Now, what does the gospel do? It has been the design of Jehovah from the commencement of the world and is his purpose now to regulate the affairs of the world in his own time, to stand as head of the universe and to take the reins of government into his own hand. When that is done, judgment will be administered in righteousness, anarchy and confusion will be destroyed, and nations will learn war no more. Other attempts to promote universal peace and happiness in the human family have proven abortive. Every effort has failed. Every plan and design has fallen to the ground. Why? What do we need? What does the sword need? It needs the wisdom of God, the intelligence of God, and the power of God to accomplish this. Let me say it one more time. What Moraniah couldn't do with the sword, Nephi and Lehi accomplished with truth and priesthood and power and righteousness, with scripture and fruit of the tree. You wanna solve the war of the heart that's raging inside you? Ask yourself, what is the answer from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, as a second witness, tell me what Russell Nelson did at this last conference. Right? Is the Lord in charge? Does he know what's going on in this world today? Can he see the raging wars of heart that are spilling into social media and poisoning so many people and the cloud of darkness that we live under? And what's the answer? Obedience. Sacrifice. Gospel. Chastity. Consecration, covenants, love. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer today. He is the answer tomorrow. And he is the only way to win a war. Not, I, don't, I don't want to say it that way. He is the only way to solve the contention caused by wars of the heart. Of that I proudly and firmly proclaim is true. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.